so I thought we'd crank that one up. If you guys could give me a little bit of light here, that'd be good so I can read what I've got in front of me. I want to uh, just talk about a couple of announcements here real quick. Get everybody settled. You find me, Clinton? This is our month to serve at Loaves and Fishes Food Pantry. Uh, this is, uh, we've done this for several years now in July, and we serve on, uh, thanks a lot, that is really helpful, Jared. Uh, <laughs> uh, we serve every Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings at Loaves and Fishes through July. We've got two weeks down, so thanks to everybody who's been uh, serving there. Really appreciate you giving of your time and your energy. Um, and uh, so we've got a couple weeks left. And uh, best we can tell, all those slots are filled. But if you'd like to jump in there and help out, um, we can always make room for more. So stop by the sign-up sheets in the lobby there. You can stop by there and uh, talk with somebody about that um, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. Uh, and... Uh, Oh, yeah, I, I told you I wouldn't talk much more about this, but I'm just going to remind you that we, we've raised the funds. We've got all the commitments for our heat project, which I know is the last thing you want to hear about right now. But, uh, but we raised all the funds, so I just want to remind you uh, to follow through on those commitments. And uh, just I know a lot of you put target dates as to when you would, would be able to give those uh, contributions, so keep that in mind. And uh, we're hoping by the end of the month to schedule that job. So that's, we're excited about that. Uh, we mentioned uh, last week that we're putting together a team of people to help kind of as a stage crew, and uh, Pastor Bob was kind enough to, to model for this photo, and uh, so, uh, yeah, we could use some help just moving some stuff around here during our services and uh, make that a little smoother. That'd be great. We have some things we'd like to do, but we kind of need some help doing them on the stage sometimes. And then uh, next Sunday, July 24th, is the annual FCF softball game. Nobody cares. Okay. Uh, so a handful of us show up to this every week, every year, and uh, it's not pretty, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, so here's what we do. We get together at the Surrey Elementary School at 2 o'clock next Sunday, weather permitting, and um, we figure out who's there, and we divide up in teams, and we play ball for a couple hours and, and uh, have moments of athleticism and mostly just a lot of laughs. So uh, come check it out. If you're looking for a competitive softball game, look elsewhere. But if you want to have some fun and uh, get to know some people that maybe you sit in church with every week, want to see them in a different environment and get to know each other a little bit, um, that'd be great. And it'd be helpful to us if you'd sign up on the sign-up sheet, the table there by the curtain. Uh, sign up there today for softball so we can kind of plan um, and get our teams all set up for next week. That'd be great. Okay, and then uh, for a couple weeks now, we've been talking about uh, a series of really intentional conversations that we want to have at our church. Uh, we're calling them compelling conversations, and so you've probably uh, noticed that, oh, maybe you haven't, I don't know, if you just do church here, maybe you have no idea, but maybe you've talked to friends in other churches or you've had some experience in other churches recently, that the truth of the matter is most churches are not growing, um, and the truth of the matter is young adults are walking away and volunteers are hard to engage, and leaders burn out, and the culture is changing faster than we can seem to keep up with. And there's no doubt that the church is in a moment in history for which very few churches are prepared. And at Faith Community, we believe that God has called us to thrive, to be a healthy, growing, engaging church in this community where we live in this time that we are living. We don't believe in the good old days. We believe the best days of the church of Jesus Christ are still ahead of us. And we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. But in order to be effective, we need to be having some really intentional conversations. 
the right conversations about the right topics with the right people and the right attitudes that will lead us to greater impact. So we're hosting three uh, conversational environments this summer for the purpose of engaging in purposeful, guided discussions about some of the biggest challenges uh, that the church is facing right now. And I don't mean necessarily the church globally, although that we're going to have some of that conversation. We really want to bring it down to the church in Ellsworth, Maine, and in our community and Faith Community Fellowship. Uh, each of these conversations is going to be at Flexit Cafe. Sometimes we found that to get out of the church environment leads to some of our most creative thinking. So we're going to meet at Flexit Cafe on Main Street in Ellsworth at 630. Uh, on our first conversation is going to be this Tuesday night. Uh, we're going to talk about why are we not growing faster? And we are growing, and we know this to be a f- truth. We, we track these things. We don't just count heads. We keep track of who's here, and, and we see our congregation growing. Uh, we want to talk about how, why are we not growing faster? Because uh, growth is great, but some of us are, would like to see it grow faster. And uh, so we're going to talk about some of the biggest obstacles to church growth for us in this community where we live, uh, explore some ideas uh, as we kind of pool our, our, all of our uh, viewpoints and talk about that. And then we also want to talk about how do we respond as people attend church less often, because that's a, that's a cultural phenomenon and trend that has definitely reached down East Maine. And so that's kind of, we aren't going to, we aren't going to try to change that, but we want to uh, talk about how do we respond uh, as this becomes kind of the, the norm. So we would love for you to come join us. Anybody who has an interest in kind of exploring these things, come join us Tuesday night at Flexit at 6.30. would really help us, because you know we don't do anything here without a sign-up sheet. So it would be really helpful for us if you would sign up, because we need to reconfigure the space, so we want to know whether to set it up for 12 people or 40 people. The cafe will not be open, okay? So it's, a, it's just they're making the space available for us. We'll provide some refreshments. If you want coffee, bring your own coffee. We'll have some cold drinks there, okay? Great. Awesome. I want to jump into my message here for the next little while, and uh, we are in part six of a series that we've been in for the last few weeks. We're calling it Prayer, and it took, I I sat at my desk for hours coming up with this. It's crazy how much time I spent coming up with this series title. So the title of the series is Prayer, and we are talking about, (laughs) wow, see, I knew it was the right title for the series, because you figured it out. You are wicked smart that way. I hope that today uh, grows our prayer life because that's what we've been talking about. And as we've said throughout this series, prayer is kind of a universal thing at some point. Uh, probably everybody in this room has prayed. You've prayed some kind of prayer. And, and I don't know everybody in this room, and I don't know your story and what your journeys looked like. But I'm going to guess that somewhere along the line you've prayed. Your prayer might have been, hey, God, if you're really there, if you're really listening, if there really is a God, if you really care, if you really love me, and you fill in the blank. We could be talking about that kind of prayer. Or maybe there was a season in your life where you prayed very regularly. It was um, an important part of your relationship with God. You would say it was even more than a spiritual discipline. It was a vital part of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And maybe somewhere along the line you got frustrated to maybe after enough frustration you kind of stopped praying. Maybe that's your story. For some of you, prayer is something you do pretty regularly, but if you were being honest, you might have to admit that most of the time, it just feels like an obligation. It's something you do because you're a good Christian. That's what good Christians do, and that's what you're supposed to do, and so you do it. But for some of you, prayer is an opportunity to grow deeper in your faith and in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So we're all over the spectrum. 
Back in the early spring, uh, we started this thing off with a survey about prayer. And a bunch of you participated in the survey, and you weighed in with your thoughts, and I have no idea who else might have participated. It was an anonymous survey. We got great, great feedback. And you shared some of your frustrations and some of the growth that's come as a result of your experience in prayer and what you've learned in prayer. But at the very beginning of the series, we said that, first of all, prayer is not a button to be pushed. Prayer is not a button to, pu- to be pushed. You know, if, if we pray the right way, if we pray often enough, if we pray hard enough, if we somehow unlock the secret combination, we'll be able to push the button and we'll be able to get the outcome we're praying for. That prayer is not a button to be pushed. Prayer is a relationship to be pursued. And perhaps the surprising element of Christianity is that this thing that we're all a part of isn't about us getting right with God. It's not just about that. So Christianity isn't just about us pursuing God. It's about God, our Father, pursuing us. And that's a completely different way to, to approach this thing. So for the last uh, five, I would say five weeks, it's been about ten weeks, we took some, we've taken some time to just kind of work through the Lord's Prayer, uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Today, I want to go back, though, to address, and you thought we were done last time because we finished the Lord's Prayer, and then we added on that little part that man wrote, too. We even included that. Um, But today, I want to go back because I'm not sure when we're going to end this series. Maybe about the time time we get it all figured out. We'll we'll be done. We'll just be a wrap. Uh, Now, today, I want to go back and talk about um, one of the most consistent responses in that survey we did back in April. And it had to do with your frustration about prayer. And we identified eight common frustrations, and this was the most common. And it has to do with uh, God not answering our prayers. And so today I want to talk about when God is late answering our prayers. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about when God says no, because they're two different deals. So what we experience and what we feel sometimes in terms of frustration in prayer and our frustration with God and our unanswered prayer, our feelings sometimes as if God isn't paying attention, all of that is common. So you don't have to lose faith over that. And so what I thought might be helpful today is to kind of get us all on the same page to begin with uh, as, as we talk about this. So I, have a, I want to just ask a question that maybe all of us have asked. If you're, if you're a Christian, you've asked this. If you're not a Christian, you've probably asked this. If you came from another religion, you've asked this. If you aren't sure if God's a personal God, you've probably asked this. You think maybe he's more like a force or a higher authority or some kind of uh, impersonal entity. You don't know how it all works, but you've asked this question. And the question is, why doesn't God do something about that? The interesting thing about that is you don't have to think very hard to come up with a that. Isn't that true? Some of you are sitting next to that. <laughs> some, of you, some of you used to sit next to that, and now it's not so funny. Some of you, that is back at home. Some of you gave birth to that. Some of you work with that. Some of you work for that. Then, oh, okay, and then there's the more serious stuff. There's illness. There's poverty. There's oppression. There's racial tension, and you watch the news, and you read a paper, and you read the news on the internet, and you're like, God, why don't you do something about that? Listen, if you've ever asked the question, 
either out loud to your, or to yourself or towards God in a conversation or however, if you've ever asked this question or just, uh, just kind of blurted this out and you're maybe just in your mind, you've thought it, maybe a question similar to this, God, why don't you do something about that? I just would wonder if you'd raise your hand. Just, if, can you identify with this? Have you ever asked a question similar to this? Why doesn't God do something about that? Uh, don't put your hand down. Leave your hand up for a second. Just leave your hand up. If you've ever asked a question similar, and I want you to look around. Just look around for a second. Just look. Look around the room, Okay. Because it's almost everybody. The people who don't have their hands up didn't understand the question. But uh, this, is impor- this is important. Because if we stopped right now and just went home right now, and no, we're not going to do that, so don't get your hopes up. And this is a, there's a big lesson right here. Because, you know, when you're in one of these situations and it's personal, because I mean, if it's something on TV and we look at something on TV or something that's happening in the world, and we're like, why doesn't God do something about that? oh, hey, I need some more chips, and we're on to the next thing. You know what I mean? We just kind of let it go. But when it's personal, it's a big deal, and it just we hang on to this. And you need to know that in the face of that, you can maintain faith, you can continue to believe, you can continue to trust God, even when there are some things that you don't understand why God doesn't do something about that. And here's what's so amazing. And I encourage you all the time to read your Bibles. And Dad and I were talking this week because sometimes we get frustrated with the lack of biblical literacy because we know that some of you wait till you're here so that we can read the Bible to you, which, you know, it's just great. But I just got to tell you, you got to read your Bible. Jesus was so concerned with this question, God, why don't you do something about that? That he decided not to teach on the subject. Leave it to Jesus to just kind of approach this with a different angle. Instead, he allowed a situation to develop where there was a that. And some people would say, well, God, why didn't you do something about that? And then he didn't do something about that so that we would know how to respond when God doesn't do something about that. Did you follow all that? (laughs) Jesus created and allowed an illustration to play out kind of created his own drama so he could dip into this circumstance to explain to us that you can continue to believe even when you look around and wonder why God doesn't do something about that. The story is found in John chapter 11. And if you want to follow along, if you brought your Bible, or I want to encourage you to look it up, John chapter 11. If you have your mobile device and you have your app and you want to follow along, we'll have it on the screen too, but um, I, I think it's a good practice to look it up in your Bible too. So I'm going to read from the NIV, the New International Version, as I usually do. And when you get to this passage, you might see a heading if you've got a Bible in front of you or even a a Bible app. Because somewhere along the way, someone thought it would be a good idea to insert headings uh, so we would know what's coming next. But sometimes I've found the headings distract me from what God might be saying to me. Because we get locked into what the heading says the passage is about. And sometimes God wants to communicate something entirely different to us through, a, through the very same scripture passage. And, and I, I think it's cool how God works through the scripture that way. So anyway, if you are, see a heading, just ignore the heading in this passage. Now you're looking for the heading. You never noticed them before, did you? Uh, but just ignore that. And we're going to try to approach this like we've never heard this before. Because trust me, if you grew up in the church, you are so familiar with the story. You've got the flannel graph in your mind. You know exactly what that looks like. And you've colored the pictures and cut out the, the thing. And So anyway, when I read the first line, you're going to already go to the end of the story. But if you can just kind of hang with me, let's read this as if we've never heard this story before. And if you've never heard the story before, you are in for a treat. When John wrote this, the people who were reading it for the first time didn't know the end of the story. And there's so much drama, and there's so much emotion, and I I think if you'll, we'll, we'll try to look at this with fresh eyes, I think we'll find ourselves in this story. 
And here's the thing, just before I read from uh, John 11. All of us have experienced this to some extent. Maybe you're there right now where, where God seems to be uncooperative or inattentive or late. He's uncooperative or inattentive or late. So I want to look at this story about a man. Jesus knew his name. They were close friends. Jesus was concerned about him, and he went through a situation where he wondered if God was being inattentive. Why was he being so uncooperative, and why was he so late? And what I want to talk about today, and I'll be honest, it's not very emotionally satisfying. You probably won't leave here thinking, wow, I feel so much better about the stuff going on in my life. Thanks, Pastor Todd. The warm fuzzies. Thank you. Uh, Wow, that was nice. Nice message. This isn't going to make you feel any better about something. You know, this is about in those dark moments when you're hanging on, when your faith is just bruised and beaten down, and you're wondering, can I still believe God? Can I continue to trust God? You just need to know that in the past, people who God loved very much, he allowed them to experience similar things to what you're experiencing, and he's still God, and he still loved them, and he still loves and cares about you. So John chapter 11 is a famous story. Let's check it out. John 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Bethany was just a few miles from Jerusalem. And John gives us this little parenthetical explanation. It doesn't mean a lot to us, but it meant a lot to those who are reading the story for the first time. Verse 2, this Mary, this Mary, because there were so many Marys, it was a common name. And then it seems like in Jesus' story, in his life, there were all these Marys, and it's all it's confusing, and you need a flow chart to figure out who's who. But this Mary, he said, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember that? In the first century, when people read that, when John's contemporaries read that, they're like, oh, that Mary. Okay, yeah. And they heard that story, because that was kind of a crazy deal that this woman would pour this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. It's kind of a big deal, and the story kind of made its way around. Story continues, verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is about a day and a half walk away. So they sent word to Jesus, and here's the message they sent. Lord, the one you love is sick. How would you like to be known as the, the one you love? Lord, the one you love. You're the one Jesus loves. They didn't have to say his name. When he introduced himself, all he had to say was, nice to meet you. I'm the one Jesus loves. And they were like, okay. And he came to church and he put on a name tag. It looked like this. Just like that. And uh, I'm sure he had a vanity plate on his car, you know, let people know he was the one Jesus loved. And uh, people were like, oh, we know you. You're Lazarus. You're the one Jesus loves. And we, we all know that Jesus loves everybody because they, you know, that's what the songs say. And, but Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And all the messenger had to say was, the one you love is sick. And they knew that Jesus would know who he was talking about. And they sent this message to Jesus knowing this, that, that, that they'd seen Jesus heal strangers. They'd seen Jesus stand out in the hot sun with a line of people waiting to be healed. And he healed them sometimes all day long until he was just physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. And this is the one Jesus loved. So they sent the message, hey, the one you love is sick. And they fully expected that he would drop what he was doing and rush to come heal Lazarus. The story continues, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. And then Jesus creates a category, brand new category for some of us. Ready? No, it, the sickness... It's for God's glory. Sickness. For God's glory. 
Yeah, that's why Lazarus is sick. It's for God's glory. Wait, 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 wait. Sickness is a bad thing, Jesus. You, I don't think you're quite getting the picture. No, this sickness is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This is a brand new category. This is a new way of thinking. Jesus is about to give us a light in the darkness here. He's about to bring hope where we just don't think there's any hope. And John, who's writing this story, realizes that this story is about to take a crazy turn. So before he tells us what happens next, John gives us a little line of commentary in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why are you telling us that, John? You already figured that out because the messenger told you that the one you love is sick. We kind of figured this out. And John felt like he needed to just clarify this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So why are you telling that? I think John's saying because you aren't going to believe what happens next. In light of the fact that Jesus loves them, you're not going to believe where the story goes. Based on what you know about their relationship, you're not going to believe this. In fact, based on what happens next, you're going to think Jesus doesn't love Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So it's like, before I tell you what's next, I just got to let you know that that Jesus didn't just know them. He didn't just meet them one time in a crowd. He didn't just kind of like them. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's like John's going, are we, did you get that? Are we clear on that? Are we crystal clear? Are you getting the message what this relationship's really all about? Are you get in the picture here? It's like, yeah, John, we get it. Well, this is important. You've got to hang on to this because you're not going to believe it when you hear what happens next. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, <laughs> he stayed where he was two more days. But John, you just told us that he loved Mary and Martha and he loved Lazarus. I mean, even if he wasn't that crazy about Lazarus, but he loved Mary and Martha. Wouldn't, and they said, can you come help out? Wouldn't, they have, wouldn't he have gone and helped if he really loved them? Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Verse 7, and then he said to his disciples, after two days, <laughs> the disciples are there, the messenger shows up. Hey, Jesus, you have a message when you love is sick. Disciples all get up. They're probably gathering their things because they think they're going to Bethany and because they know who the one Jesus loves is. They know who we're talking about. And Jesus is like, have a seat, chill out, guys. We're not going anywhere yet. Two days later, he says, oh, I got an idea. Let's go, let's go back to Judea. Let's head over towards Bethany and see what's going on over there. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? I mean, Jesus, when the Jews try to stone you, Sometimes they miss and they hit us, okay? So, like, we're not really crazy about this idea. So we don't really want to go back to Bethany or anywhere in Judea, for that matter, because the Jews and the Jewish leaders, the guys who want to get rid of you, they're just waiting for you to come back, and they want to kill you. And if we're following you and people are throwing rocks at you, we're going to get hit too. So this, I don't think, is a great idea, Jesus. They just didn't want to go. They're acting like they're trying to protect Jesus. And then Jesus does what Jesus always did, and he does something, and these are the kinds of things, when I read the New Testament, I think no one would make this up because it doesn't help the story, you know? It doesn't make it more believable. But they sat there, they sat there two days. Disciples, I think, kind of forgot about the whole deal. I think they forgot about the message. I think they forgot about Lazarus. And just out of the blue, Jesus is like, okay, let's, let's go to Judea now. And they're like, Judea, what are we going to? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, no, if we go there, we might get stoned. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Like, huh? What? Weren't we just talking about going to Judea and Lazarus is sick and 
gave you some reasons why we shouldn't go. And this probably has to do with Lazarus. But did you just change the subject, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? Well, yeah, but what are we talking about here? And Jesus did this all the time. And in this moment, it's so brilliant. Jesus does a little bit of teaching and they have no idea what he's talking about. And John's like, be quiet. I got to write this down. I don't know what it means, but I got to write it down because maybe later he'll explain it to us. So John writes it down. And when you get to the end of the story and you read the book of John, and here's what I think Jesus is saying to them. He says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. And they're going, "Uh uh-huh. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. This is so important. What Jesus is talking about is opportunity. That half the day when the sun's up, there's an opportunity to do things. But when the sun goes down, especially, you know, in their uh, experience, you lose your opportunity. And what he's saying is, guys, you can stay here if you want, but I'm not going to be here very long. Eventually, I'm leaving, and I'm leaving sooner rather than later. And when I leave this earth, the light is going to go out, and you're back in darkness. So you need to learn all that you can right now. You need to experience all that you can with me right now. So if you'll follow me to Bethany, I'm about to give you a candle that you will carry with you the rest of your lives through the darkness of this life, because I'm about to introduce you to something that you won't learn any other way. So while you have the opportunity, guys, let's go. Get up. Let's go. Let's pack up. Let's head out of here. Follow me to Judea. I know you're afraid, and I know you're all concerned about what might happen to me and mostly to you, but if you stay right here, you're going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime because I'm about to give you a light that will serve you the rest of your life, but when I leave this earth, that light's gone. The opportunity to see what I'm going to show you is limited, so let's go. Let's go to Judea, verse 11. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going, to, I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples replied, because they don't want to go, right? They've made that pretty clear. They're going to give Jesus medical advice. Verse 12. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. If he's asleep, then he's going to be fine. He's resting. We don't need to go to Judea. He's asleep. He's doing fine. You've given God medical advice before, right? So don't be laughing, because I know you have. You're like, oh, dear God, all you need to do, you're the great physician. All you need to do is this. And if you'll just do that, that would be great. And if you aren't sure how to do it, check back with me because I'll show you exactly what needs to be done here. And the disciples, their concern really isn't Lazarus. Uh, They just don't want to take the risk and go to Judea. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Yeah, duh. And then Jesus makes what is possibly the most insensitive statement in the entire New Testament. It's certainly one of the most insensitive things that he ever said. Jesus turns to his closest followers and he says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Wait, what? You knew he was going to die? Yep. So wait, wait, wait a minute. You let Mary and Martha care for their brother until he died? Yep. And you knew he was going to die, and you didn't go? On purpose? Yeah. And you're glad that you weren't there to save the one you love? Yep. Okay, okay, Jesus, we know you're big into illustrations and we know this is your way and all that, but what could be so important for us to learn, what could be so important for us to get our minds around that you would allow the one that you love to die? He says, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus, let let, let us get this straight. It is so valuable to you that we believe in you that you would allow someone to die to bring us to a full, mature faith in you? Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's that important to me. And it's like, whew, 
new category. No, never saw, wow, this is a completely different perspective altogether. And for some of us, it really messes up our theology, right? Because you're like, that. God created a that. Huh. So we could understand what to do when God doesn't do the thing that we think God should do. Really? God can do that? Verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus. This is actually kind of funny. Thomas. I, I wish I knew more about Thomas. Are any of you fans of Winnie the Pooh? I mean, you can admit it if you are. You're familiar with his friends who live there in the Hundred Acre Wood with him, right? So you know Eeyore, right? Yeah, Eeyore is perpetually gloomy, right? In fact, he would love today. And uh, the little corner where he lives is Eeyore's gloomy place. And every family, don't look at anybody right now, but every family has an Eeyore. And maybe not in your immediate family, but in your extended family. Every family has an Eeyore, right? And uh, someone is the Eeyore. You may have married Eeyore. Sorry for that. But everything is neg- negative and everything is bad. You know uh, you know what I'm saying. Jesus had an Eeyore and his name was Thomas. Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. The Jews are going to stone Jesus, and they're going to stone us. It's going to be a massive funeral. Let's just all go to Judea and get this over with and die with Lazarus. Here's what happens, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Here's where we've got to press pause and understand the drama of this moment. Because, see, while Jesus waited back in wherever he was, and doesn't even really say, it was just a couple days walk away, day and a half walk away. While Jesus waited back in Bethany, Lazarus is dying. Without morphine, without palliative care, they don't even know what he's dying of. There's nothing they can do to ease the pain. They send a message to Jesus, and you know what happened because you have your own version of this. And Mary and Martha, they're caring for Jesus the best they know how, or for Lazarus the best they know how, and they're wiping the sweat off his face. I'm like, don't worry, Lazarus, we sent for Jesus. It's going to be good. Jesus is on his way. He got the message. We know that. He'll be right here. And it's like, Mary, why don't you go stand out by the road and tell us when you see Jesus coming? You know, it's like we've seen him heal total strangers and hundreds of them. We've seen him heal Gentiles. We've even seen him heal Romans. Can you believe that? We know he'll be here. We don't have to worry about that. Let's just keep Lazarus as comfortable as we can until Jesus gets here. And they waited. And they waited. And their community waited. And their community watched as Mary and Martha waited. And they waited. And then Lazarus died. And still know Jesus. Their friends gathered around. Eventually they said, Mary and Martha, you know, we have to bury your brother. No, 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 we can't bury him because we know that Jesus is coming. We sent a message. We know he got the message. He's coming. We know, we know, we know. But let's be real here. We've got to bury your brother. So they helped prepare Lazarus' body for burial. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it. And they began to mourn. And know Jesus. Isn't that where we live sometimes? Isn't that the inattentive, uncooperative, and sometimes late God that we pray to? Jesus created this that so that we could carry hope into our future. That's how important this lesson was to Jesus. Verse 17. 
On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. There was no hope, even in their superstitious way of thinking that four days are pretty significant, and I'm not going to kind of get into that, but check that out. See what the ancient Jews believed about what happened to the human body and the spirit and what happened after four days. Kind of a, it was kind of a significant deal. He'd already been in the tomb for four days. Can you imagine how embarrassing it was for the disciples to follow Jesus into Bethany? Because everybody was watching and they're looking out their windows and they're standing in their doorways and they're like, what an insult. He didn't rescue the one he loved. He didn't even come for the funeral. He's been in the tomb four days and he's, he has a nerve now to step foot in this town. Great friend, verse 18. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. You ever wonder why Mary stayed at home? I mean, Lazarus is dead. He's in a tomb. Why wouldn't Mary rush out to see Jesus? What's, she, what's the deal with her? I have an idea. I kind of think she's mad. I think she's got some anger with Jesus right about now. Wouldn't you? You want to rush out to meet Jesus right now? You just buried your brother. Jesus, you could have been here. You should have. I would have. You didn't. You say you love us, but I don't think you love us. It doesn't look like it. You love strangers and Gentiles and even the Romans more than you love us, apparently. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, this is your fault. This is your fault, this whole deal. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. It's like, I know, I know, I know. You know, this is the moment when people try to comfort you with things like, oh, he's in a better place. She's not suffering anymore. You'll see him again. And you want to just punch him right in the face. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So Martha thinks Jesus is going into this theological thing, and she's like, I know, I know, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. Don't give me a theology lesson right now. It's not helpful. I, don't, I know we're going to be resurrected. That's great. Let's sing a song. But you should have been here. Jesus looks at her, and he says to her what he says to you and me, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think the resurrection is an event, and it is. And you think it's an event in the future, and it is. But Martha... I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. He asked her a question, and I think that he asked each one of us, and he asked a question that will probably mean different things to us at different points in our lives and in different situations in our lives. He asked a question that was easy to answer and easy to believe when you were eight years old. It's a question that got a little more difficult when you were like 17 or 22. It's a question that's easy to believe when you're at church or at camp or at a Christian concert surrounded by Christian people. It's harder to believe when life takes an unexpected turn and you're about to bury someone you love or a relationship is ending or your kids walk away. And Jesus looks her in the eye and he asks this question. He says, do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. Everything you hope for is in me. Do you believe this? Even with all that you've experienced, knowing I could have kept this from happening, do you still trust me? Do you still believe that I am who you thought I was, even though I have not acted like you thought I would act based on who you thought I was? Do you believe this? Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. 
And she goes into her own little theological thing because she doesn't know what to say or what to believe. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. And she runs back and gets her sister. And she's like, Mary, you've got to go see Jesus. So she runs out to see Jesus. And she basically has basically the identical conversation with Jesus. And, and John tells us that when he saw her emotion, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along her with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And either on the way or upon arriving at the tomb, Jesus, or John records for us something that is astounding. And he records for us something that helps us to understand that when we're going through the most difficult times of our lives, even though God could have, would have, should have, whatever, when he chooses not to, it's not because he's distant. But God has the ability to enter into your pain, God has the ability to enter into your deepest hurt even when he chooses to do nothing about it. And Jesus paused, knowing exactly what was about to transpire, knowing exactly how the story would end, and probably for our sake, John says, verse 35, that Jesus wept. It's like he's saying, I'm not too big to understand. I'm not too distant. I'm not too almighty to understand. When you hurt and when you suffer and you don't understand, when you feel abandoned, I know. I know. I feel that too. I know. Verse 36. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Why didn't he do something about that? Verse 38, so Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Just picture this, okay? It's a a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. They weren't expecting this. They were now, they were confused. They thought he was just coming to kind of pay his respects at the tomb. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead. He's been dead four days, okay? So he's like dead, dead. (laughs) Lord, because this is, Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By the time, he's not even Lazarus anymore, just a dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. It's like she's twisting the knife a little bit. Four days he's been there, Jesus, where were you? You didn't show up right after he died. No, 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 not even that. Let alone the fact you weren't here while you could have saved him from whatever what killed him, but you weren't even here right after he died. Four days. Oh, you thought he died last night? No, 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 no. Four days, Jesus. Thanks for being such a great friend. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, that is, if you trust me, if you place the weight of your circumstances on me, he says that you will see the glory of God. It's like, seriously, Jesus, this whole thing's about you? This whole thing's about your glory? This whole thing is about whether or not we believe or whether or not we can trust you? And when that thing that we think should get changed doesn't get changed, what do we do with that? This is is what this whole thing's about? And he's saying, I'm telling you, if you'll continue to trust me, if you continue to believe, if you continue to live your life as if I'm who I say I am, you will catch a glimpse of my glory even in your most difficult times. Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, and basically this, I love this prayer, especially since we're talking about prayer, because this prayer basically goes something like this. Hey, Father, you know, uh, you and I know what's going on here, and we know what's going to happen. They don't. So I want them to see me talking to you so that when this happens, they don't go, oh, you're so great, Jesus, but so that they realize that you and I are one, that we're the same, that you receive all the glory. So here we go. Are they all watching now, Jesus? Or no, all watching all, Father? If they're watching, let's do this thing. Let's make this thing happen because we know what's going to happen. I'm ready. Let's do it. 
Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And this isn't about, this is about me so that they see you. And so Jesus, you're saying it was worth all this drama? It was worth all this pain? It was worth all this emotion for people to understand your connection with the Father to learn something about God? And Jesus would say, yep. Verse 43. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know why Jesus had to say, take off the grave clothes and let him go? You know why? Think about this. Put yourself in this circle standing around a tomb of a guy who'd been dead for four days. And the guy who used to be known as Lazarus is now the dead man. The dead man came out. Nobody's making a move toward Lazarus. <laughs> no way. It's like, uh-uh, this is cool, but I'm standing back here. And they're all standing there horrified. And Jesus has this big smile on his face. And he's like, somebody help the dead guy. Verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. I bet they did. And the story spread like wildfire. Because he didn't just heal somebody or bring somebody out of a coma. This guy had been in the grave for four days. There is nothing, nothing, nothing he can't do. So, that's great. So here's the question. Why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about... You fill in the blank. The answer is... Ready? I'll be writing this down. We don't know. Sometimes we just don't know. But here's what we do know. Here's what we know because of a day in Bethany with Jesus and some people that he loved. We know that he can. We know that sometimes he waits. And we know that we can trust him in the meantime. Why doesn't God do something about that? I don't know, but I know that he can. I know that sometimes he waits, and I know that I can trust him in the meantime. I know this isn't emotionally satisfying, but it's a thing that God has given us to hold on to in the midst of these dark times. It was the candle that he handed to the disciples because he knew the day was coming, that they would watch him be arrested, they would watch him be tried, they'd watch him be beaten within an inch of his life. They would watch him die on a Roman cross and there'd be no hope. And yet they would remember, why would God allow that? Why doesn't God do something about that? We don't know, but we know that he could. We know that sometimes he waits. We know that we can trust him in the meantime. And in the meantime, God has the ability to enter into our pain even when he chooses to do nothing about it. And that would be their message. After Jesus left this earth, it's been the message and the hope of the church ever since that if we continue to trust him, we're positioning ourselves to catch a glimpse of his glory in the midst of that thing that you're absolutely convinced God should do something about. So when God is inattentive, and God is uncooperative, and God is late, you lean into his grace, 
You look outside your circumstances to the thing that the things that God is are, that He's doing, and you look for His glory in your circumstances. Because if you believe, and if you continue to trust, you will eventually see the glory of God in your life. As we wrap up the series in a few weeks, we're going to come back and talk about what to do when God says no. And then we're going to talk about when to stop praying. Yep, there's a time to stop praying. We're going to talk about that. I'm looking forward to that. We wrap up this part of the series this morning. I want to play a song. and I, It's a brand new song. I just heard it this week. And I pray that it resonates with you and it connects with you where you are and that you find hope in these words. Listen to this. like surgery and it burns like third degree and you wonder what is it worth when your insides breaking in and you feel that ache again and you wonder what's given Sweet.
let you go. I won't let you go.